0: Come closer, please. I've something to tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, how do you do? This is bad company. You are about to see three tales of moving on and can't get enough. I do hope you have come ready for love.
1: Uh, John?
0: As you will see from one of our tales,
2: seagulls abound everywhere. And John! What? I don't know how to tell you this, but not only did we just use this teaser format three episodes ago, but you managed to get the title song, the album, and the band wrong all at once. Huh?
3: Ah,
0: let me see that script. And d- 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 wait, this episode is on Black Sabbath, the debut album of Black Sabbath. Featuring the song, Black Sabbath?
3: Oh no!
4: This is Discord and Rhyme. (laughs)
0: What is this that stands before me? Figure in black saying, welcome to Discord and Rhyme, a podcast where we discuss our favorite albums song by song. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and generally where podcasts are found. And you can find show notes and our full episode archive at our website, discordpaw.com. Roll call, John McFerrin, Mike DeFabio, Phil Maddox. And Amanda Rogers. We have some new Patreon donors this week. Alexander, Liam, Jeremiah, Michael M., and Michael P. Thank you very much for your generosity. We really appreciate it. If you like what you hear and want to support this podcast with a monthly donation, you can visit patreon.com discordpod discord pod. And thanks to those of you who have already. And now it's time to turn it over to this week's host, Mike. What album do you have for
1: us, Mike? I've got Black Sabbath's 1970 debut album, Black Sabbath.
2: (laughs) Don't (laughs) spoil it.
1: (laughs) So, Mike,
0: uh, why did you want to choose this particular album at this particular time?
1: Well, first of all, uh, this album and heavy metal itself, by extension, turned 50 years old earlier this year. So the timing is right. I also thought it would make a good Halloween episode to go along with Fear of Music, even though you're going to be listening to this in November by the time it comes out. Uh, Happy
4: All Souls Day, everybody.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I've also had the feeling for a while now, and I know some of you listeners out there have too, that discord and rhyme needs to get more metal and i thought what better way to introduce more heavy metal to the podcast than with the very first heavy metal album of all
2: right at least at least until we get around to uh, cannibal corpse's concept album about al gore's 2000 presidential run gore obsessed
0: that's <laughs> uh, in the backlog somewhere yeah <laughs>
2: All right. So, Mike,
0: uh, what can you tell us about your personal history with Black Sabbath, the band and or Black
1: Sabbath, the album? Well, the first thing you need to know is that heavy metal used to scare me. Ah! (laughs) My uncle was in a heavy metal band in the 80s called Hex with two X's like the Pavement song. And one day my mom brought home their album No Escape, not because she liked the music at all, but because her little brother was in the band and she wanted to be supportive. But she put the record on, and it sounded like this.
2: I like it.
0: (laughs) I dig it, yeah.
2: Oh, hell yeah.
4: (laughs) I actually listened to this whole album today. It was good. Really? Yeah.
1: It was the most terrifying music I had ever heard, and I never wanted to hear anything like it ever again. Heavy metal equaled very no. So, it took me longer than it otherwise might have to start investigating Black Sabbath, who, wherever I read about them, were always hyped up as an example of pure musical evil at its most terrifying. And this was before the Osbournes ever aired revealing Ozzy to be just about the least frightening human being in the world. So timid young Mike had no choice but to take it all at face value. I remember clicking on Mark Prindle's page of Black Sabbath reviews and feeling like I'd just done something really transgressive. Anyway, I don't remember if it was Iron Man or War Pigs or something else that I eventually heard first, but when I finally encountered Black Sabbath's actual music, My first impression was that it wasn't scary at all, but in fact, kind of ridiculous. And my second impression, one that was solidified by this album, was that it also kind of ruled. And that is how I went from running and hiding from anything resembling heavy metal to owning an enormous box set of the first eight Black Sabbath albums, seven of which I like. Sorry, Technical Ecstasy. (laughs) Yeah, that one's got some problems.
4: Yeah, knowing the stuff you listen to now, that's kind of surprising that This used to scare you, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Amanda, what about your history?
4: Well, I'm not really much of a metalhead, which I know you guys are shocked to hear, even though I think I did the first metal album on this podcast. uh, (laughs) Because Def Leopard is metal, goddammit. Honestly, I'm not even really sure how I got onto this episode. I don't remember for sure if I signed up or if somebody put me here, but either one of those is possible and fine. Spooky. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but heavy metal is one of those things that i heard a lot as a kid but didn't realize was its own genre it is kind of the same situation as prog rock so like stuff like nazareth and black sabbath and yes Def leopard that was all dad music and then elp and genesis and yes were mom music and honestly that i still kind of think of them that way those are my two musical buckets mm. So I heard Black Sabbath a lot as a kid, but I never really got into them much for myself. And I hadn't heard this album in decades before I started preparing for this recording. And it's been fun and a little surprising to revisit.
2: Cool. Phil, how about you? So I've liked heavy metal a lot, as long as I can remember. I really do like a lot of metal. But for some reason, for a long time, I never really listened to Black Sabbath, I had a lot of albums by, you know, Metallica and Megadeth, Anthrax, White Zombie, etc., etc. But I had never dug back into Black Sabbath. And I remember there was a place that was giving away vinyl records, which was still a thing that happened sometimes in like the mid 90s before the vinyl renaissance. And I just dug through it and got every album of interest that I could find. And one of them was Black Sabbath's debut because I'd heard about them but I'd never actually listened to them. And I expected them, when people pointed out that they were very influential into heavy metal, I expected it to sound really, really dated. And then I threw the album on and was surprised at how not dated the first song on this album was, because it's such a clear blueprint for the future of heavy metal that it really still, to this day, does not sound as old as it is. So I've actually gotten more into Sabbath. I listen to all the other Sabbath albums, the Ozzy ones, the good and the bad, the Dio ones, the good and the bad, the neither Ozzy nor Dio ones, the bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I've become very interested in this band over the years, though I still think this is probably the Sabbath album I listen to the most. So I'm excited to talk about it.
0: So, my history with Black Sabbath uh, doesn't begin with Black Sabbath at all. But instead with two emotionally stunted cartoon neer in the middle of Texas.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yep, back in the mid-90s, before I cared about rock music at all, I absolutely loved the cartoon Beavis and Butthead. And looking back, it's funny to me how many classic hard rock and heavy metal riffs I was originally introduced to through their air guitar and singing, such as it was. Long before I ever realized they were real songs, I knew the main riffs to Iron Man and Electric Funeral by heart. So when I finally got around to actually buying Paranoid in 2001 and their other most famous albums over the next year or so, I was primed to at least somewhat like them. I never totally reached the fan level with Black Sabbath, nor did I ever really get into heavy metal as an overall genre, but I have a lot of fondness for their first six albums as a whole, as well as a smattering of what came later. As for the debut, I don't love it by any means, but it does have my favorite song by them and a generally interesting sound that they'd never recapture. And I'm looking forward to talking
2: about it as well. We'll get you into carcass one day yet, John.
0: (laughs) Well, as long as it has something to do with (laughs) carcass. All right, Mike, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of Black Sabbath and how we ended up with this album.
1: Sabbath formed in 1968 in Birmingham, England, when guitarist Tony Iommi and drummer Bill Ward needed a new band after their previous band, Mythology, broke up, and bassist Terence Geezer Butler and singer John Ozzy Osbourne needed a new band after their previous band, The Rare Breed, broke up. Tony and Bill decided to start a band with Geezer and Ozzy because Ozzy had his own P.A., Their new band had the ominous, foreboding name the Polka Turk Blues Band, (laughs) 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 and included a slide guitarist named Jimmy Phillips and a saxophonist named Alan Clark. Iomi didn't think they were taking the band seriously enough, so he did what all the pros do. He broke up the band and immediately reformed it without them. This new version of the band was called Earth. Earth. In December of 1968, Tony Iommi left Earth to join Jethro Tull for about two weeks before going back to Earth again. Hell yeah. (laughs) This isn't a major event in Black Sabbath's history, but it amuses me, especially if you phrase it like that because it makes it sound like Jethro Tull were in space.
2: Weren't they? You, You can see video footage of Tony Iommi pretending to be in Jethro Tull because he was on the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus. Yes. Where he was miming (laughs) to a song for Jeffrey without actually playing it. Right.
1: Anyway, Ozzy didn't like the name Earth, and there was already another band called Earth that they were getting confused with. It could have been the new Earth. Yeah. (laughs) Or the rare Earth. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it just so happened that there was a movie theater across the street from where they rehearsed showing Mario Bava's 1963 horror anthology film Black Sabbath in which Boris Karloff utters the all-time classic line, Can't I fondle my own grandson?
4: Oh my god. (laughs) No, Boris, you can't.
1: (laughs) Noticing that people were always lining up to see horror movies, they had the idea to start playing scary music, which was something a rock band had never really done before. With that movie title in mind, and inspired by a frightening experience Geezer had had one night when he woke up to find a shadowy figure standing at the foot of his bed, he and Ozzy wrote the lyrics to a song called Black Sabbath. To that, Tony added a slow, ominous riff based around a tritone, otherwise known as Diabolus in Musica, an interval so dissonant that it's been associated with darkness and evil for as long as there have been notes. When they started performing it live alongside the standard blues rock they'd been playing, their audiences were not prepared. People would come up to them afterwards, stunned, asking, What was that? This, then, had to be their new direction. The band's name was now Black Sabbath, and from now on, their songs would be the musical equivalent of watching a horror movie. They played their first gig as Black Sabbath on August 30th, 1969. Within a few months... They'd been signed to Phillips Records, and in October, they went into the studio with producer Roger Bain to record their first album. Now, if you've listened to the other episodes I've hosted, you might have noticed that the albums I pick usually have some kind of very long, involved production process. Well, Black Sabbath's first album was made in two days which was probably the same amount of time that Def Leppard spent on just the And I Want in Animal. Oh,
4: please, they spent at least six months on the (laughs) And I Want.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) And one of those days was reserved for mixing, so they recorded the whole album in a single 12-hour session. What you hear on the album is the sound of Black Sabbath playing almost completely live, with just a few guitar overdubs here and there. They would get crazy with the production later on, but... Somehow, this album has an atmosphere that the others don't. It sounds like they're playing in an old dark castle.
4: It's just like how the Beatles recorded Please Please Me.
1: Yeah, true. Also in an old dark castle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Famously. I may have something mixed up. So, Black Sabbath was released in February 1970 on Friday the 13th. Woo! It made it to number 8 on the UK Albums Chart and number 23 on the Billboard 200.
2: So does this album include the Alice Cooper classic, He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask, from the soundtrack of Friday the 13th Part 6?
1: No. No, Uh, it does not. A shame.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right. So before we get to the album, if you, the listener, have any questions or feedback about the show or just want to drop us a line, we're on both Twitter and Instagram at Pod. And you can email us at discordpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, it would help spread the word about this podcast if you left us a rating or review. And with that, we will go to track one, Black Sabbath from the album Black Sabbath by the band Black Sabbath. Who is this? (laughs) I'll have to look it up.
1: Gary. Heavy Metal Begins Sure, there were bands that were heavy before Black Sabbath. You had Led Zeppelin, The Who, Cream, Blue Cheer, and you had bands like Iron Butterfly and Vanilla Fudge that represented the new heavy rock sound. But they weren't heavy like this. This was a sound meant to shake you to your core and fill you with a sense of impending doom. Which makes this not just the first heavy metal song, but also the first doom metal song. Only one song in, and they're already creating sub-genres. So the thing about heavy metal, and something that I think is an obstacle for a lot of people, is that it's inherently kind of ridiculous, and really easy to make fun of. But when it's really good, it doesn't become less ridiculous. It just also works. If you listen in the right setting and with the right mindset, this stuff will grab you, even if it's also extremely silly. Essentially, what Black Sabbath have done here is reduce the distance between funny and scary to approximately zero. I should note here that Black Sabbath weren't actually the first band to be called heavy metal in print. That honor goes to a band called Sir Lord Baltimore, who were described as playing heavy metal music in a 1971 issue of Cream. Sir
4: Lord Baltimore is not the name of a heavy metal band. That is the name of a bubblegum pop band.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You would think so, right? Yeah. I thought it was just a
2: nickname for John Waters.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But back to Black Sabbath. I've mentioned Tony Iommi's use of the tritone, and Robert Fripp of King Crimson would go on to milk that interval for all it was worth. But the riff to Black Sabbath is just that interval. It's sort of like Iomi is giving you an introductory course on how to make evil music. It's also based on Mars, the Bringer of War from Gustav Holst's The Planets. Which, incidentally, King Crimson were covering live around the same time. I've also mentioned Geezer Butler's scary story about a figure in black appearing at the foot of his bed. To me, it sounds like an instance of sleep paralysis, which I've experienced a very mild version of a few times, and is sometimes accompanied by visions very much like the one Geezer described. But the other part of the story is that Geezer was very interested in the occult, And had painted his apartment black with upside down crosses and things all over. And the night that he saw the shadowy figure, he had been reading an old book about magic that Ozzy had given him. And he was so shaken by that whole experience that he got up and ran to throw the book away. But the book was gone. (gasps) Or so the story goes. Either way, he was through messing around with that stuff after that.
2: Which just makes me think, because I have a later Geezer Butler's solo album from the 90s. And there's literally songs about Doctor Who on it. <laughs> <laughs> so he uh, he moved on. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, I think you're probably right about the sleep paralysis. This has actually happened to me a few times. Yeah. But giving up on the occult stuff, that that's a good move. I mean, you yeah. never, ever call something unless you're absolutely sure you want it to come is what I always say.
1: That's a good idea. Uh, as for Ozzy, He's never been a great singer in the traditional sense, but I've always really liked how much he throws himself into his performances on these old Black Sabbath albums. I mean, he really gives it everything he's got on those. Oh, no. You can hear Ronnie James Dio singing this song on Black Sabbath's live album Live Evil from 1982. And while he may have been the better singer with more of a flair for the theatrical, he doesn't have the same feeling of dread that Ozzy has in this song. Ozzy really sounds like he's seen the devil and is running for his life. Which reminds me, Black Sabbath gained a reputation for being a bunch of devil worshippers pretty much immediately. But this song is clearly depicting Satan as someone to get away from. People do love to get mad at music they've never listened to. Hmm. And I've only mentioned the first part of the song. For its first four and a half minutes, Black Sabbath is nothing but tension. I mean, it's just those three notes the whole time. In its last minute and 45 seconds, they finally release it. ¶¶ sabbath play a fast six eight they don't exactly boogie they just kind of charge at you like an angry tyrannosaurus which works so that's black sabbath i promise i won't talk so much about the other songs
0: yeah this is my favorite black sabbath song and most of the reasons for this are not ironic i really love the atmosphere of the song In a certain sense, it's a cheap trick for them to leverage centuries-old cultural baggage attached to the tritone to create such a strong sense of unholiness in the song. But that cultural baggage was fair game nonetheless, and I admire their willingness to go all-in in this regard. I also really love the jazzy, unsettled drumming in this song. Bill Ward has long struck me as somewhat overlooked by the general public in the pantheon of important 70s rock drummers, even if drummers themselves tend to give him his due. And his style, sitting somewhere between Cream's Ginger Baker and Led Zeppelin's John Bonham, but with plenty of his own personality, is one of my favorite parts of the band and a major asset to this song. Regarding Ozzy, I can generally take or leave his singing. But in this case, his emotionally flat scening really fits the horror movie vibe of the rest of the song. So, I love it. And finally, I'm a major sucker for any time a band strategically deploys triplets for dramatic effect. And thus, the very end of this song totally works for me. Now, with all that said... There is one aspect of the song that I love, but is so ridiculous that my love for it comes drenched in irony. In the climax of the song, that amazing up-tempo section that ramps up the atmosphere of the song into a terrifying frenzy has lyrics that are about Satan demonstrating his great and terrible power by slowly chasing people down a road, presumably in a graveyard, given the atmosphere of the rest, And this image inevitably makes me envision Satan less as the ultimate manifestation of darkness and terror in this world and more as a Scooby-Doo villain. As I said, though, I largely love this. There's something strangely charming about imagining Lucifer eventually tied up and saying, and I would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for you meddling kids. (laughs)
1: Let's find out who Satan really is. Old
0: Man Johnson. (laughs) (laughs) Amanda, what do you think?
4: Yeah, this is my favorite Sabbath song too, and it, honestly, it's a little bit of a shame that they put their best song as the first track on their first album. I mean, it's just you got nowhere to go but down. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and not that their subsequent material is bad for the most part, but this is I, this is the clear highlight for me. Uh, the thunderstorm and the church bells at the beginning are a really great detail and very evocative. And for some reason, it just sounds right off the bat like all of this is happening in the dead of night. Yeah. The use of the tritone is really, really good. And by this point, it had been extremely well established that if you want music to sound scary, that is how you do it. And if you play those notes on a big, noisy guitar, it turns out that makes it extra effective. And then that 6-8 bit at the end, uh, honestly, it makes me think of the version of Satan that's in Guitar Hero where you have to play The Devil Went Down to Georgia to beat him.
2: (laughs) Which is both really cool and really funny. Yeah,
0: I think that's (laughs) I think that's the perfect way to think of it. Phil, what about you?
2: So how many instances are there in rock music where you can listen to a single song and go, this is the birth of a genre? Yeah, not too many. Mm -hmm. It's not many. This is absolutely the birth of heavy metal. People can point to earlier stuff like Led Zeppelin Or even some of the early Tull stuff on the album Stand Up, which you can hear our episode of in the Discord and Rhyme Archives. But while those are kind of heavy rock, this is the first song I can think of that really nails the heavy metal atmosphere. And I can't count the number of bands that have been influenced by it. There's basically no heavy metal without this song. There Mm. just isn't. So it's completely straightforward. It's based on the tritone, which is almost a cliche, but it just works so well. There's a reason that this inspired an entire musical movement, which it's it's just funny now when I think about it, because this album was absolutely trashed by critics when it came out. Oh, yeah. Mm. And it's just so funny now because, again... I would say, based on this song alone, Black Sabbath is one of the single most important rock albums of all time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Because, again, how many individual pieces of music can you say, yeah, this is the birth of a genre? Nothing. It's amazing how influential this is. And I... It's also just really good for the reasons people already mentioned. It's got a great riff. The guitar tone is great. Ozzy's vocals are convincing. It's just a really cool piece of music. And if this was the only song Black Sabbath had ever recorded, their place in history would still be assured. Of course, they recorded a lot of other really cool songs, but it's the rare case where if this was all they did, they'd still be worth talking about. Like, just imagine this as, like, a nugget. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not really surprised that the critics weren't on board, because they wouldn't have really had any
2: reference point. No, it's completely different.
4: It would have sounded strange and bizarre, and... But this isn't music.
2: (laughs) People people have always kind of been down on heavy metal. Mm -hmm. People are kind of getting over it now, but for a long time, any kind of heavy music... Like critics kind of treated it as less important than more subtle, thoughtful music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the fact is there's a lot of heavy music. That's just amazingly great. And people are coming around to it more now, which I'm happy about because I'm a huge metal head. I can't count how many heavy metal shows I've been to.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: And actually my advice, if this kind of thing sounds too heavy, um, I've been recently very, very carefully poking around in the world of Norwegian black metal. <laughs> and after you listen to some of that, Black Sabbath sounds like Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> I,
1: I can't so, I can't explain to you the evil glee that I feel at at having <laughs> at having gotten at having gotten Amanda to investigate Norwegian black metal.
2: Right. We were talking in our Slack earlier this week that Amanda was listening to Immortal and I was just so happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
4: Well, Phil, you had me listening to Ulver a while back, too. Remember that?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're awesome.
4: <laughs> I like them. But, you know, I thought this sounds interesting and frightening, and that's a fun combination. So I'll try it. But there's only so far I'm willing to go.
1: Yeah. You don't <laughs> want to go too far down that road.
4: Really do not. So, yeah, just be careful if you decide to open up that door.
2: Eventually, we'll do uh, Cannibal Corpse's Vile, where we can talk about classic cuts like Mummified in Barbed Wire and Devoured by Vermin.
3: (laughs) No, thank you.
0: (laughs) Well, until we get to that, let's move on to the next track of this album. This is called The Wizard.
1: I only have a bachelor's degree in reality, and it's generally accepted that you can't truly understand heavy metal unless you've read Foucault, so I'm well aware that my analysis is going to be based on a rather surface-level reading of the text, but as best as I can gather, this is a song about a wizard. What? You think so? Is the wizard a metaphor? Hmm. No! (laughs) Geezer read Lord of the Rings and felt like writing a song about a wizard. Story checks out. Have we mentioned that critics really hated Black Sabbath? They did. Part of that is that they became famous without any help from the British music press, and the British music press hates anything that they didn't make famous. But another part of it is that Black Sabbath did not make the kind of music that brainy music critic types like because they can analyze it at length and show off how smart they are. When I imagine Black Sabbath's target audience, I'm not thinking of Robert Christgau whose entire review of this album read, quote, Bullshit necromancy? Yes, bullshit necromancy. Unquote. He gave the album an E, which means the opposite of what it means when John gives an album an E. (laughs) (laughs) The cool thing about this song is that harmonica, played by Ozzy. It's not a complicated harmonica part or anything, but... It's just about the last remnant of the blues to show up on a Black Sabbath album before that influence disappeared altogether, so it's neat to hear. The other cool thing about this song is Bill Ward's drumming. I don't think he plays a single bar of a normal rock beat anywhere in the whole song. He plays like a crazed Muppet, like if Animal were a human being. There were a few moments in this song where he hits a cowbell exactly once. He might not even have meant to hit it, it could have just been in the way. It's one of my favorite things about the song anyway.
0: Yeah, I'm of two minds with this one. On the one hand, it's just a simple bit of heavy blues pop with good drumming and decent harmonica playing, and it's hardly a career highlight. On the other hand, Sabbath wouldn't do anything like this after this album, and I generally have a soft spot for unremarkable but enjoyable tracks from the period before a major band figures out what they're supposed to sound like. Also... As far as early career Tolkien nods go, i definitely take this over, say, Rivendell by Rush.
2: Oh, God, yes.
0: (laughs) A song that isn't actually offensive, but that I never remember actually exists. If nothing else, I remember that the wizard exists. Amanda?
4: I always wonder what kind of warning they expect before the wizard walks by. Like, (laughs) magical fireworks or what? I don't know. The lyrics of the song are so dumb, but <laughs> but it's a, it's a fun little song. And it's made more interesting by the arrangement. I agree with what Mike said about the drums, and I think the bass is pretty great here, too, as it is throughout the whole album. I'm actually not that wild about the harmonica, mostly because I don't feel like it fits at all. But it did turn out to be the part of the album that was the most immediately familiar to me, because Enigma sampled it in their song, I Love You, I'll Kill You. Led Zeppelin had a lot of Tolkien-inspired songs, of course, like "Misty Mountain Hop" and "Ramble On," etc. But they're all very important and serious. Uh, this is just a fun song about a nice wizard, and he's a—he's a very nice wizard. Everyone's just, happy
1: when the wizard walks by. He sets off fireworks, town, and kids are happy,
4: spreading his magic and making people happy. I just—I really
2: like that. Yeah, me and my <laughs> magic man, kind of feeling fine. <laughs> <laughs>
4: But yeah, after the first song, you'd expect it to be Saruman. Right. (laughs) But it's not.
0: (laughs) Good old stoned Gandalf.
2: (laughs) So I knew that harmonica bit before I heard this album, too, but not because of Enigma because I had heard it in the infinitely classier I Ain't Going Out Like That by Cypress Hill. <laughs> oh, oh gosh. gosh. Which prominently <laughs> features that harmonica sample. But I just... I love this one. This is exactly the kind of heavy rock I like. The lyrics are dumb as hell. Who cares? If you're into heavy metal for the lyrics, I don't know what to tell you.
4: <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> but just, you know, that awesome. down down Just I love that kind of just pounding heavy riff. And later Sabbath would kind of refine their sound more, but... I just like this more than most of what they did. Just that kind of riff and the way it's produced just really works for me. I really love The Wizard. (laughs) All right. So, with that, we will move to track three. This
0: is called Behind the Wall of Sleep.
1: this is where the track list starts to get kind of screwy on the original uk version which is what we're following here track three is behind the wall of sleep and track four is nib on the u.s version of the album track three is wasp slash behind the wall of sleep slash basically with two s's slash nib where did those other two songs come from well, Wasp is just the intro to Behind the Wall of Sleep and basically is just the intro to NIB. One track, two songs, four titles. Makes sense, right?
2: I would assume okay. it was because of the way royalties worked at the time. The more song titles you had, the more oh. money you got. Yep.
1: Yeah. So. That's, that's why uh, In the Court of the Crimson King yep. has things like uh, uh-huh. 21st Century Schizoid Man, including mirrors, even though nobody calls it that. Yeah. Anyway, I really like Behind the Wall of Sleep. It's named after an H.P. Lovecraft story, but the lyrics are mostly Geezer observing that sleeping is kind of like death, except you wake up afterwards. It's kind of an odd one without much in the way of what some would call a hook, but it's got enough spooky atmosphere to make up for that, and that's got less to do with the notes they're playing than the spaces in between them. I really like Geezer's bass playing during the wasp sections, And it's a lot of fun on headphones to hear Ozzy and his own echo kind of switching places for every line. But what really carries this song is Bill Ward's drumming. It's surprisingly funky. Like, not funky in a tight way, like on a Parliament album or something, but in this very loose, that sort of Muppet way I described before. And in fact, it's so funky that his drum break in this song has been sampled some 35 times according to who sampled. Including in We the People by a tribe called Quest. I did
2: not know that was this drum break. Yeah.
1: Hootie Hoo by Outkast.
2: Goodbye oh, yeah. on my
1: left,
5: unraised on my right.
1: Hot wax by Beck. Oh, I like Hot Wax. Yeah. Beads on a string by the Jungle Brothers. Back
5: by the Baby Lamb, beat the Red groove. Jungle Brothers, no competition and nothing to prove. Want me to be on your family tree? But you're all about to but don't allow me
1: to be. I'm the kind of brother that gets up on the stage That gets down for the people that came up paid I know all my- And Return of the Loop Digger by Quasimodo Sorry What kind of breaks you got then?
3: Got a wide selection of Simon Harris
1: Simon Harris
0: breaks Now I'm making some shit with some real songs Amanda, what do you think of this one?
4: I really love the Wasp bit at the beginning But Behind the Wall of Sleep kind of loses me a little bit And part of it is because every time I hear this I expect that riff to turn into Heartbreaker Hmm by Led Zeppelin. And I'm always mildly disappointed when it doesn't. (laughs) And this is partly because I keep expecting that riff to like keep going like Heartbreaker does, but I feel like the song loses momentum a little bit with Ozzy's vocals when the rhythm section is working so hard to keep it going. And it feels like a weird mismatch to me. Um, so, I mean, I don't dislike the song. I don't dislike anything on this album. I think the whole thing is really good, but this isn't one of my favorites. Um, an insignificant but possibly funny detail is I had to look up the lyrics to this because I kept thinking Ozzy was singing Take Your Body to the Cops, <laughs> which seemed like a very strange piece of advice, and then I figured out it's actually turns your body to a corpse, and that made a lot more sense. And also, as good as the drumming is on the whole album, but especially here, I am disappointed in how it's recorded and mixed. I mean, the, the drums just aren't anywhere near loud enough. But that is my eternal complaint. The drums are never, ever loud enough for me. Like, I went and saw King Crimson last year, and they had the three drummers across the front of the stage, and that was almost good enough. <laughs> <laughs> and it, But this is, it, like I said, that's it, they're never loud enough for me. And also, the right sound for heavy metal drumming just hadn't really been worked out yet. And even though the Beatles kind of managed it on Helter Skelter, I suppose it's not really fair to expect everybody to be the Beatles, and that's probably arguable anyway.
2: So this is one of the first songs on this album where it kind of starts to blur together. This album, for me, there's a handful of just obvious highlights. And then the rest of it, mostly concentrated on side two, feels like a bunch of kind of disconnected riffs that they just kind of jammed together. This feels like that. It doesn't have much of a hook. It's not much of a song it just feels like some ideas they kind of jam together that never quite resolve. So if I'm judging it as an individual song, it's not that great. But I just love the riffs. I love the sound. I love the way it turns into NIB. So even if this song itself doesn't stand out to me as a highlight, I just love how it all works in the general flow of the album.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like the way... The tracks start to blur together on this album is one of its strengths. It just kind of creates this Mm -hmm. mood that washes over you.
2: I kind of start to lose track of individual songs and just kind of let the album wash over me. Yeah. And this is one of those tracks. I mean, the next song here, which we'll get to, is, you know, clearly a toweringly big song, but... Mm-hmm. This is a, this this always just feels like an intro to me, possibly because I had the version of this that put it on the same track as N.I.B. Yeah. And then N.I.B. just comes and kind of crushes everything. So mm-hmm. this would never stood out hugely to me. But that doesn't mean I don't like it. Yeah. So as for me,
0: I don't have a lot to say about this one, uh, except that it fascinates me that even though I only spent two weeks in Jethro Tull, This track sounds uncannily in spots like early Jethro Tull filtered through what one typically thinks of with early Black Sabbath. Now, one thing I think is worth pointing out is that the band apparently really likes it. I have two late period Sabbath live albums with Ozzy, Reunion from 1997 and The End from 20 years later, and this appears on both of them even though it's hardly a major hit or a radio staple for them. It would have been very easy for them to just play the track that comes after this on its own, N.I.B., but I guess they view them as an essential pairing, right down to the silly bass solo connecting them.
1: Yeah, their first best-of compilation, We Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll, has almost this entire album on it, except behind the wall of sleep. So it's like the one that wasn't good enough to put on there... But the band themselves seem to have seem to have sort of a fondness for it.
2: But that's just such a strange compilation.
1: Yeah, it's it's weirdly put together. But I, I like this one because it's it's kind of the forgotten track tucked away in here.
2: Yeah. But yeah, th- this whole album at a certain point just feels like an extended jam session to me. And, you know, I'm the jam band guy on this podcast. So, of course, I like the Black Sabbath <laughs> album. That just sounds like an extended jam session. Uh, that makes sense.
0: All right, let's move on to the next track. Uh, this is going to be called NIB. <laughs>
4: this one (laughs) it's really good
1: So for a long time, the rumor was that the title of this song stood for Nativity in Black. But that's not true at all. NIB spells nib, and it's a joke about Bill Ward's beard. He had a pointy beard that looked like a pen nib. Pretty deep, huh? Yeah. This song is kind of dumb. I'm not saying I don't really like it. I'm not saying that if you pick up a bass and bust out the opening riff to this song, I'll be able to resist going, oh, yeah. I'm just stating an objective fact here.
2: I mean, it's absolutely dumb, but it rules.
1: (laughs) Satan's back in this one, and this time he's sliding into your DMs. (laughs) Geezer said that it was a song about Satan wanting to become a better person after falling in love with a human woman. But he was just chasing people around a few songs ago, so I don't buy it. Also, it would appear that Satan is a Buddy Holly fan because the bridge of this song is lifted pretty much word for word from Not Fade Away. Nice plagiarism, Satan. I never noticed that. (laughs) But you're exactly right. Also, the first four notes of that riff are awfully similar to the riff from Cream's Sunshine of Your Love. But Mm -hmm. I've defended Led Zeppelin songs that have stolen way more, so I can't really complain too much about that. And this is also the first in a long line of Black Sabbath songs, where Ozzy's vocal melody matches the guitar riff note for note, as does the bass, which ends up sounding kind of dumb. I know I sound like I'm trashing the song, but I'm not. I genuinely really like the song. You just have to admit that it's kind of dumb. What I like the most about it, though, is Tony Iomi's guitar leads. They're double-tracked, and most of the time they're playing almost the same thing, but not quite, which is a neat effect. So I really like this one
0: especially in terms of the riff and the way the vocal melody mirrors it. But the one complaint I would mount against this original studio version is actually that it's not nearly heavy enough for my tastes in either the vocals or the instrumentation. In the early 80s, Ozzy Osbourne was replaced as vocalist by Ronnie James Dio. And in 1982, the band released a live album Mike mentioned earlier called Live Evil, which, in addition to performances of contemporary Sabbath material, also contained a handful of Dio-sun renditions of tracks originally recorded with Ozzy. I don't love all of the Dio-led renditions of Ozzy-led material, but I make a big exception for the rendition of NIB on that album. Ozzy's emotionally neutral, lobotomized-sounding vocal approach really works for me on Black Sabbath, But on NIB, I vastly prefer Dio's gleeful scenery chewing. Likewise, Iommi's guitar sound changed in the early 80s, and not always to the benefit of the material, but the echoey roar of his guitar on the live, evil version of NIB, especially when combined with Dio's roar, makes that my very favorite version of the track. So yeah, I like NIB on this album, but I tend to think of it as an imperfect rough draft of something that I absolutely
2: love. Phil? So if you like heavy metal at all, you pretty much have to like this one. It's basically everything heavy metal does well. Just an utterly kick-ass riff, awesome soloing, straightforward vocals that emphasize the riff. It's just perfect heavy metal. I can't imagine liking heavy metal and not thinking NIB's great. I kind of want to echo John's thoughts on the Live Evil version of this, which I still don't like quite as much as the original Ozzy version, but it's really good. But I would say I would actually recommend. So there was a limited edition album put out by Rhino live at the Hammersmith Odeon
3: Mm, yeah,
2: that was put out from the same tour as Live Evil. It eventually got appended as the bonus disc on the deluxe version of the album Mob Rules, and I actually think that is a better live album than Live Evil. It's a little bit less touched up, and it's a little bit raw. And the version of NIB on there is just really killer. I would recommend it highly. But yeah, this is probably the Aussie song that Dio most just owned. It really fit Dio's whole thing really well.
1: Yeah, the the mix on Live Evil is the one thing I could never enjoy all that much about it i think they fought a lot over the mix of that album and you can kind of tell but i i like the performances a lot i've really come to appreciate uh dio's whole approach to singing like he's he's ridiculous and over the top but he's having such a good time
2: Yep, get live at the hammersmith Odeon. it's basically the same set list and i think the mix and performance is much better
0: okay so amanda uh coming back to the original song uh what do you think (laughs)
4: Well, Mike is right. This is super dumb. But to quote Lester Bangs, as portrayed by Philip Seymour Hoffman, this is a forum that is gloriously and righteously dumb. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so good. I like this a a whole lot. The oh yeahs are just, they're so funny. (laughs) And this is, it's another good illustration of the point that you made earlier, Mike, about the ridiculousness that is inherent to this genre like he, he's not at all afraid to be just completely silly and i love it um i do wish the arrangement were a little bit more interesting i just i don't tend to like it when the guitar and the vocals and the bass are all doing the same thing but everything that happens in between the verses is really good and it makes up for a lot and as for the lyrics i mean it could be about satan you know, he was just chasing us through a graveyard a little bit ago, but there's no indication that the woman in question is at all on board with this plan. So it might just be Satan pulling a power play, but I'm probably reading too much into that.
2: <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's the kind of thing where with the song like this, I understand the desire for the arrangement to be more interesting, mm-hmm. but I just love how it just punches you in the face. It mm-hmm. doesn't yeah. bother
3: like yeah. doing
2: anything. It's we've got an awesome riff. We don't care. We're just going <laughs> to pound you with it. Why would we bother yeah. distracting from that riff?
1: Yeah, for sure. Just pure brute force. Yeah. <laughs> get this laid
0: down, kick your ass, and then we get to go to the pub.
4: Yeah. There you go.
0: Yeah. All right. So if there's nothing else here, I think we, I think we can move on. Let's move to the next track. This one is called Evil Woman. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: not that evil woman
3: oh I'm,
4: I'm sorry is this not Black Sabbath <laughs> oh oh my bad that was Electric Light Orchestra let me try that again
3: is this the right one there we go alright
1: our manager made us record this song because our other material wasn't commercial enough song. And it shows. It's a cover of a song by an American blues rock band called Crow. I
3: like that bass. I see the look of
5: evil <laughs> in your <laughs> eyes. Those vocals! <laughs> You've been feeling me awful, oh lies.
2: I love these vocals! <laughs> My will not change your shameful deed! Sounds like he's trying to be Randy Bachman. <laughs> you will
3: bear someone else's fertile seed. Can't stop laughing. <laughs>
1: So Sabbath's cover is, is mostly pretty straightforward, but what's interesting is that the original has barely any guitar in it. It's all horns and Hammond organ, and Sabbath's version mostly replaces all that with big hairy Tony Iommi guitar, but I could have sworn I heard some horns way in the back of the mix there. So I did some Googling around, and it turns out there is indeed a four-piece horn section on this song. And as a matter of fact, the deluxe version of this album contains an alternate mix of Evil Woman, and not only are the horns much more prominent, there's also a flute! My favorite part coming up.
5: Evil woman, don't you play
4: your game, baby? That little run? Yeah. <laughs> going upward. Yeah. <laughs> That's
1: really funny. Those two weeks Iomi spent in Jethro Tull weren't for nothing. <laughs> now, I've seen this song described in various places as a misogynist anthem. And given that Black Sabbath's view of the world is that it's an awful place full of hate and death and war. More on that later. They got a thousand million (laughs) questions about it. It would make sense that they would view women as evil temptresses. But with a few lyric changes, this song could just as easily be Evil Man. And if you don't believe me, just ask Tina Turner. See that
5: evil look
3: that's in your eyes. You've been feeling All full of lies My whole world has changed The way you feel She will have to bear Your fertile seed
4: Married to Ike at that time, right? Yeah, I believe so. Sounds a little sinister. <laughs> well... <laughs> yeah, all of rock and roll is a misogynist anthem. This is nothing unusual.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I have the US version of this album, which puts Wicked World into this spot. Much better. So I had no idea this track even existed until Mike put it into the show notes. Uh, my reaction to it, after listening to it a handful of times, is... It's fine? It's weird to me to hear a jaunty, bluesy, boogie rock song with early Aussie vocals over early Tony guitars, and I'm still not 100% sure that the horns buried in there entirely work, but they don't ruin the song or anything. I definitely prefer my version of the album, though, and honestly, my strongest reaction whenever I listen to this song is to wish I was listening to the Electric Light Orchestra song of the same name. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Amanda, what do you think?
4: Uh, Same as you, John. I've been listening to this on Spotify and Evil Woman isn't on the track list there at all. So I had to go looking for it. And actually, it wasn't until about six o'clock tonight when I was reading through Mike's notes that I realized this is not warning. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I had to track it down and listen to it. I, I don't know. I like it fine. Uh, I do enjoy that especially rubber band sounding bass line and the guitar here sounds really good. And <laughs> this that super bouncy chorus performed by these particular guys is really funny. But uh, again, in a way that's fun rather than ridiculous.
2: Phil? Uh, so my first instinct is to say that this song sucks, <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't actually suck. It's just wildly out of place on this record. It's just not what you're looking for. Which, again, like everybody else here, I had the U.S. version of this, which has Wicked World" here, and my version of this has, this is a bonus track at the end. And Wicked World" fits really well into the whole second side of this album, which really just kind of feels like an extended jam session to me. This just feels wildly out of place. As a song, it's fine, but on the Black Sabbath debut album, it it's so jarringly wrong <laughs> that I just can't like it. I'd probably like it a lot more if it just came on shuffle, but when I was preparing for this episode, I made a version of this album that had this mixed in here, and it just angered me that it wasn't <laughs> Wicked World, because that yeah. fits so much better.
1: Agreed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does kind of break up the mood there. It feels so much
2: like I didn't know it was a record label demanded thing, but that makes so much sense. Yeah, because this feels like an attempt to have a hit single in early 1970. Yeah. Which just isn't Black Sabbath's aesthetic at all. And again, it's a fine song, but it doesn't work here. (laughs) Just not at all. The US version of the album is far better for losing it. All right, so with all
0: that, let's move on to the next track. This one is called Sleeping Village.
5: Sun rising in the sky Sleep in the ledge Cockroach cry Soft breeze In the trees Peace of mind Feel it
1: deep. Ah, finally something quiet. It's an eerie quiet, though. It definitely sounds like a sleeping village, but I wouldn't want to venture too far outside it. I don't know what's out there. That's producer Roger Bain on Jews Harp. Whoever's idea that was, it was a good one. It really adds a lot to the atmosphere in a way that you might not expect. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that minute or so of quiet music, because it's about to get loud again. Yay, happy music! This is another spot where the US track list gets weird. Sleeping Village and Warning are crammed together on a single track titled A Bit of Finger slash Sleeping Village slash Warning. I'm guessing this instrumental section here is the Bit of Finger section and they just put the title in the wrong place. Regardless, I mostly just see this section as a way to cram in some extra riffs on the way from Sleeping Village to Warning. And it does that well. We also get another double-tracked Iomi solo, but this time it sounds less like two guitars playing together and more like two guitars fighting. <laughs>
0: So as Mike mentioned on the U.S. version, this and what's coming next are put into a single track. And since this makes for a 14-minute track that has some stretches where my attention seriously wavers, it's historically been hard for me to sift out the parts I like from those I don't. It was interesting to me to come back to this album and put some effort into getting to know the parts I'd historically hand-waved away and Sleeping Village was definitely one of the new highlights for me. I'm not entirely sure that the heavy instrumental passages mesh perfectly with the more atmospheric verses, but I like each of these two sides individually a lot, and I feel like they provide continuity with the vibe of the title track that isn't necessarily found elsewhere in the album. As Mike said, there is a sense in which this feels like a dumping ground of extra guitar parts, but these are good extra guitar parts that deserve to be here. Uh, Matt, what do you think?
4: I love this one. Uh, I, I like Eerie Quiet, and they do it really, really well. I wish they had developed that part into its own whole song rather than just that little bit. Um, but Metallica kind of did that about 20 years later with Nothing Else Matters and The Unforgiven. So that's fine. Um, and the loud guitar bit is also really, really good, so I'm not going to complain too much.
2: This is basically the birth of that classic heavy metal trope, quiet little acoustic bit leading into crunching heavy riffs, Yeah. yeah. which has been used by everybody ever. <laughs> so I always thought of this along the lines of the U.S. track listing, where it's just one big track along with warning. And as I've said before, my copy does not have evil woman in the beginning of side two. It starts with Wicked World. And I generally just think of all of Side 2 as just kind of a hodgepodge of kick-ass riffs kind of jammed together, just riffs and solos and brief vocal sections. And this is part of that. And I don't know really what much to say about it other than it feels like the band was short on material, so they just kind of jammed and put riffs in and just kind of let it flow. But the riffs are all good. And so I don't get bored and I
1: just love all this stuff. Yeah, Black Sabbath, get away with it in a way that a lot of bands do not.
2: Because, I mean, I've listened to a lot of Cream and a lot of their stuff where they're just kind of jamming and playing riffs. I get bored. But for some reason, Black Sabbath, perhaps it's just the increased heaviness. I don't get bored. I like this stuff front to back. Well, Phil, you're in luck. <laughs> oh, boy, am
0: I. <laughs> uh, the next track is called Warning.
2: I don't care what anybody says. I love Warning. Oh, yeah.
5: Now the first I met you, I was in the sky When the sun turned all a blur And the thunder cloud drove by
2: Ozzy messes the lyrics up. Mm
1: -hmm. He messes up the
2: title line of the song. Yes.
4: In a way that makes absolutely no (laughs) sense.
1: So this is another cover originally performed by the Ainsley Dunbar Retaliation. That is an amazing band name. Great name.
5: Now the first day that I met you, I was looking in the sky When the sun turned all to blood and the thunder clouds rolled by The sea began to shiver and the wind began to moan It must have been a sign for me to leave you well alone I was warned about you, baby, but my feelings were a little bit too
3: strong
1: You might recognize Ainsley Dunbar's name because he's drummed for just about everybody, including on albums like David Bowie's Diamond Dogs, Lou Reed's Berlin, and several Frank Zappa albums. Cover though this may be, this is honestly one of my favorite songs on the album. That bass line gets stuck in my head all the time, and that vaguely ominous feeling in the original becomes all the way ominous here. The best time to hear it is if the sky is all overcast and there's a big crow sitting a few yards away just judging you. The sticking point for a lot of people is that six-minute guitar solo in the middle, especially the section where the band drops out completely and Iommi's just playing by himself. But here's where I think a bit of backstory is in order. When Tony Iommi was 17, he was working in a sheet metal factory and a machine he described as basically a giant guillotine cut off the tips of two of his fingers on his fretting hand. He was told that he would never play again, which is a pretty devastating thing to hear when you're a teenager who's just starting to get good. But he was encouraged to start playing again after listening to a recording by jazz guitarist Django Reinhardt, who had lost the tips of two of his fingers in a fire. So Iomi made himself two prosthetic fingertips, out of a bottle of dishwashing soap and pieces of a leather jacket, and started learning a new way to play. So my take here is that if you can figure out how to play guitar after that, you can have as much solo time as you want. And I think his solo here is pretty entertaining. Iomi's not a flashy player, so it's not just a big, boring display of technique. His greatest asset is really his tone. And when you have a guitar tone like that, I can listen to you play all day and maybe it's just the mood created by the rest of the album, but when the band fades away and he's left playing on his own, it almost sounds like he's wandered off into the woods or into a cave or something.
4: More air guitar happening.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, John.
1: (laughs) I'm way better at air feedback.
4: (laughs) You do a main air chamberlain too.
1: some people might tune out during that whole section, but I don't.
4: I don't know, man. Rick Allen lost his whole arm and you don't see him doing big flashy drum
2: solos. (laughs) Well, maybe he should. Phil, why don't you go? Uh, I'm with Mike on this one. This is not only one of my favorite songs on this album. This is one of my favorite Black Sabbath recordings ever. On later albums, they refined their sound a little bit more and kind of established you know, the quote unquote Black Sabbath sound that they kind of invented earlier on in this album. But here they hadn't quite figured it out yet. But I think that's actually good here because this just, I don't know. It's a great riff. I love the production. Ozzy singing works for me. I like all the solos. There's a bunch of great riffs. I can totally understand if someone just thinks this is a mess because it kind of is it doesn't feel like it's well composed. It feels like the band just jamming all the ideas they have here to fill up space on the album. But I don't care when all the ideas are this good. And as a person who just really can groove on great guitar solos and a great riff and cool production, I just love this whole thing. It's one of my favorite things Black Sabbath ever did. And I realize I'm alone here because a lot of people think side two of this album, you know, is where it just kind of wanders off because I've seen a lot of people say like, oh, the first half of this album is great, but the second half, eh, they're just doing generic blues stuff. But uh, I don't know. This doesn't really sound like, you know, other generic blues stuff. It has more of an edge to it that a yeah. lot of stuff doesn't have. Mm-hmm. And I just absolutely love every second of this. I'm the kind of weirdo who, when warning is over, I will just put it back and play this track back to back to back, like three or four times in a row. I just love it.
0: Amanda, please speak some sense.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I I like it fine. Um, I don't think this is generic blue stuff at all. I think that's crazy. But, I mean, I don't dislike this track, but I don't especially like it all that much either. I think the individual elements of it are good, especially, again, the bass. But the whole comes off as kind of dumb, and the song just takes itself a little too seriously for me. I, I like dumb songs, but I need them to also be fun. I want- exactly.:
0: <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't want to be a total wet blanket here. I actually came around to this pretty well, um, relative to how I used to be with it, where I just would shut the album off after uh, Wicked World," which is what I used to, which I won't do anymore. Um, but while I, just with the album in general, while while I don't generally agree with the assessment by Lester Baines that the band was quote just like Cream but worse, this track is the one spot on the album where I kind of sort of see where he's coming from. I think the main portion of the song, which itself very much bears the stamp of heavy Cream influence even as it also has heavier elements that are the band's own is quite good. And I don't even completely dislike any of the individual sections of the instrumental passage in the middle. And yet I also think that six minutes was way too much for that passage. I like cream and I think they could hit absolutely amazing heights as a unit, but even cream sometimes floundered in live performances that they saw fit to release. I have to imagine that they had some unreleased performances that were unbearably tedious I don't think this passage quite reaches unbearably tedious but I think this is much closer to that point than I wish it was Hmm. and yet I still wouldn't begrudge someone who really liked this track and I do think that there's at least some merit to Mike's praise and to Phil's praise of it.
2: It's the kind of thing I can't defend it too earnestly there are some things where i'll say like what you don't like this (laughs) oh how could you not like this this feels like a thing that i love but if you don't like it i totally understand that that's a me thing because it's not like this is well put together it's uh it's just a bunch of riffs and jams kind of strung together over the course of 10 minutes so i mean if you don't like it I can't really defend it. But I think it's the kind of thing where if you're predisposed to liking it, you will really like it.
4: Yeah, that's the thing. I I like it fine. I don't hate it, but I don't love it. But I can absolutely see why you guys love it.
0: Yeah, I I again like I I I fall into somewhat the same place. Like my go-to track of things that I like, even though if somebody hates it, I'm just like, yeah, that makes sense. It's something like the ancient. (laughs) from tales from topographic oceans (laughs) like i won't i I won't look a sconce at anybody who says this is trash
2: (laughs) but like this kind of reminds me of some of the live jams you'd hear from like a 10 years after hmm I think Black Sabbath are a little bit darker than 10 years after, but this seems like something I could totally hear from like a 1969, 10 years after live album.
4: Mm-hmm. And not to keep,
2: well, I'm going to
4: do it anyway. I'm just going to drag Def Leppard into this episode <laughs> again, but we spent a whole episode with me going, I love this so much. And all the rest of you going, Amanda, this is terrible. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I feel you. <laughs>
2: I, I mean, remember the golden rule, which is that if you like something, you like it, and you don't gotta justify it. <laughs> exactly.
1: Here, here. Yeah.
2: All right. So,
0: with that, that is actually the end of the album proper. However, there is another track that we've uh, referenced a few times uh, in this episode that we really need to get to. Uh, so, in our in our listing, this is going to be a bonus track. It is called "Wicked
2: World." <laughs> so much better than evil woman
4: evil woman is mixed so much better though god i hate this mix
1: Of that hi-hat in the beginning that's jazz something else you're never going to hear on a black sabbath album ever again well except for air dance <music> this was originally the b-side to the evil woman single and it replaced evil woman on the u.s version of the album you can kind of tell it wasn't originally on the album because it's mixed a little bit differently my guess is that it was mixed last And here we have the first instance, and certainly not the last, of Black Sabbath getting political. It's mostly just a list of things that are wrong with the world, and their observations aren't especially profound, but they don't need to be. Black Sabbath were a working-class band from a city that was heavily bombed in World War II, so they weren't writing about things like poverty and war from the perspective of people who never really had to worry about those things. And that's part of why they played the kind of music that they did. Overall, I think Wicked World is a much more interesting song than Evil Woman. So much better. (laughs) It opens and closes with that cool jazz section. Iomi gets a spooky guitar break in the middle. Ozzy gives it a great sneering vocal. And you just get a much better idea of them as a band. I think Warner Brothers actually made the right call here. Amada, what do you think?
4: This makes it so bad. you got all the bass in one channel, all the guitar in the other, and the drums are like just a little bit off center. Hmm. And I hate listening to this on headphones. It honestly makes me a little queasy. Like I've got motion sickness. So that honestly, it it wrecks the song. And I hate to say it because all the individual elements are really good. But the mix ruins it, honestly. So if I'm going to listen to Ozzy Osbourne singing about social justice issues, I'll take Crazy Train any day of the week. (laughs)
0: That's fair.
2: <laughs> I, I never noticed anything weird with the mix. Maybe I'm weird because like, I've listened to this a ton of times and I thought it sounded of a piece with the rest of the record.
4: Yeah. Well, I think maybe what they were going for is they thought it would be cool to have like those bits where the bass and guitar are doing the same thing. Like, oh, this will sound cool if we put them in different channels. It doesn't.
1: <laughs> it does have that kind of meet the Beatles uh, ping pong stereo effect. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't ruin the song for me, but uh, I can tell there was a little less. uh, It just sounds like there was a little less thought put into the mix. Mm -hmm. Phil, what do you think?
2: I mean, I mentioned before I my copy of this has this as the beginning of side two. And because I originally listened to this on vinyl, even I'm not really a vinyl guy, but this is an album I listened to on vinyl a lot of times when I was a teenager And I generally just think of all of side two of this album as one big suite. It all flows together. And Evil Woman, while not a bad song, just juts out horribly here. But I think this really works, and I'm glad they replaced Evil Woman with it in the U.S. version. I don't have a ton to say about the specifics of the song, because again, I just think of it as an extended part of That big mass of riffs and solos that is side two of the Black Sabbath debut album. But as part of that, I love it.
0: All right, so as for me, I like this track in all of its sections. I like the jazzy introduction, I like the bluesy main portion, and I like the lengthy guitar break that I find much more tolerable than the corresponding guitar break in Warning. There are a couple of things that I do want to bring up while we're here. First, while I'm not typically somebody who goes around looking to scold bands for appropriating riffs from other acts, I can't help but slightly lift an eyebrow upon observing that the main riff to this song is essentially identical to the riff in Wild Child by The Doors.
5: Whew. Wild Child, Human
0: race. Given that a large part of Iommi's reputation as a guitarist stems from his creativity in writing powerful and original riffs, it does strike me as a bit off that he would nick a riff from a door's deep cut. <laughs> Again, I like the riff. I don't hold it against it too much, but it, it, it does strike me as puzzling because that isn't something that Iommi usually does. Anyway, I would also like to observe that my preferred version of this track is actually a 19-minute live version, originally found on a 1980 live album called Live at Last, that was released without the band's permission after Ozzy had left the band. This version from a 1973 show turns into a medley and jam with bits of Into the Void, Supernaut, and bits of other classic Sabbath. And I think it's a lot of fun despite the less than stellar sound quality.
2: Say that is actually an excellent performance, but I would advise anybody listening to this do not buy Live at Last. Nope, because eventually all the tracks from it were re released on a later archival live release called Past Lives, which has the same material and more, and it all sounds much better. So, get yeah. that.
0: Unfortunately, Past Lives appears to also be out of print, which I was a little disappointed to see, but um. But Past Lives is a really good release. Yeah. uh, Buy it. Listen to
2: it on Spotify. Find a copy on Discogs. Do what you need to do. It's really good. Yeah. And with that, it looks like we are done. Mike, do you have
0: any
1: final thoughts? If you are the least bit interested in heavy metal at all, or even in the development of rock music in the 70s, it is necessary to hear this album, not just because of its historical importance. But also because it's held up really well for the last fifty years, and you might find yourself enjoying it more than you thought you would.
0: Yeah i I was really glad to come back to this one uh, in full again. I, this had been an album where, as I said before i'd I'd kind of just gotten into the habit of pretending that everything after uh, Wicked World didn't exist, and i I would I would listen to individual tracks from it, but I wouldn't actually sit down and listen to it in full. And I, and I think it's it's really interesting. It's 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 not just one fantastic track and a bunch of historical interest. It, it holds together really really well as an album in a way that not necessarily every good Sabbath album after this would hold together. Um. So yeah, I would I I would recommend this even if you if if you're not so much into the heavy metal thing in general. At the very least, it's an absolutely essential historical. Uh, milestone and if you like heavy heavy music in any way like chances are good you're going to at least somewhat enjoy this
3: mm-hmm.
0: Amanda
4: I think it's always really interesting to hear or read or see the first example of a new art form and they're often you know what I'm thinking about is when I read The War of the Worlds, when we were doing the episode on the album The War of the Worlds, I it's it's a very, very early science fiction novel, and on its own, it's not that great. But if you didn't have that, then we wouldn't have all the other excellent sci-fi that has come afterward. So a lot of times, the first example of something just doesn't hold up well as time goes on, and that's a perfectly normal thing. But I think this is the exception to that rule. This sounds a lot better as the first example of a thing, then most first examples of a thing do. I'm really phrasing this badly. But
3: <laughs> we got it. I
4: think you guys get what I I'm get it. trying to say. Yeah. 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 As, as the, 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 birth of a genre, this is a spectacularly successful birth of a genre.
2: Ad Phil, this is still my favorite black Sabbath album. I realize a lot of people point to their first six albums, and I would agree, if you're interested in heavy metal at all, you got to hear the first six Black Sabbath albums, just all six of them. You know, there's no skipping any. you got to hear them all. And the band further developed their sounds and refined it on their next album, Paranoid, and even further on their third album, Master of Reality, before they kind of started branching out more. And most people would cite those as the albums where Black Sabbath really matured and found their sound. And I would agree with that. But there's just something about this first album that speaks to me. It's got, you know, the historical importance. It's got songs like the title track, which are just of unbelievable historical importance. And there's kind of just a rawness to it of hearing a band that had come up with an interesting sound, just kind of playing. And even if the songwriting on this one is not as strong as it would be on later albums, there's just something about the sound of this album that appeals to me on a deep level that I can't even fully explain.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there.
2: I would just say, like, you gotta hear this. Don't just listen to this album, but because you should hear the other Black Sabbath albums. But personally, whenever I want to listen to Black Sabbath nine times out of 10, this is the one I go to. This is just a great album. So, Mike,
0: somebody likes Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath and they want more Black Sabbath. What other Black Sabbath should they look for?
1: Well, if this is your first Sack album, then I'd recommend just going ahead in chronological order from here, continuing on to Paranoid, which you've probably heard a lot more of than you think, and Master of Reality, where in a strange turn of events, the guitar tone got 10 times heavier and the lyrics got 10 times more Christian. Yep. <laughs> A lot of people are going to tell you that Sabbath fell off after their first four albums, so I want to make sure I mention their sixth album, Sabotage, which is one of my favorites. It has some moments that are almost proggy, and it also has the unbelievable symptom of the universe, where they invented thrash metal way ahead of schedule. (laughs)
0: So as for me uh because I'm a very boring person uh, in many ways uh my favorite Sabbath album is actually paranoid but one that i would I would like to stick up for uh, a little bit because it sometimes gets uh, kicked around is uh, their fifth album called Sabbath Bloody Sabbath um it's it's a little inconsistent it has a couple tracks on there i I don't uh like that much but if but in terms of like the best seventy five percent of a sabbath album if i were to put the best 75 percent of of sabbath albums all up against each other sabbath bloody sabbath would probably win out for me um it has a lot of interesting tracks uh with them branching out just a little bit from what they would uh typically do but managing to succeed uh more often than not so i'd really recommend that one
2: I think Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath is probably my second favorite Black Sabbath album after the debut. Yeah. Just tons of great songs on there. And Sabra Cadabra has yeah. keyboard playing from none other than Yes's Rick Wakeman. Yes. Who wandered into the studio because he was bored for, like playing Tales from Topographic Oceans.
4: Who signed off on calling something Sabra Cadabra?
0: <laughs> and he went over and he accepted payment in beer. <laughs> Just fantastic. <laughs> it's it's not wonderful. chicken curry. No, no uh, he, he did something to wash it down.
2: As, <laughs> as for other music, I would recommend checking out if you like Black Sabbath. Some people would point to Ozzy's solo career. And I actually don't really like Ozzy's solo career. Yeah. Ozzy was really kind of a singer. He never really wrote stuff. And his solo career was kind of at the mercy of who was writing songs. And I don't want to bag on Ozzy's solo career, but it's just not really for me. I don't really like it that much. And post-Ozzy Sabbath was really inconsistent, to put it mildly. The (laughs) DO years are good. The not-DO years are less good, let's say. But if you just generally like the sound of Black Sabbath, there's a band I really like called Blood Ceremony. Ah, yes. They are a Canadian rock band that sound like they have never listened to any bands that are not Black Sabbath, Jethro Tull, or traditional folk music. I'm intrigued. And they made some really cool records that are not really super groundbreaking or anything, but if you really like the general heavy sound of Black Sabbath, you'd probably like them too. I would recommend their 2013 album, The Eldritch Dark, which again, it's hardly groundbreaking, but if you like this kind of music, you'll definitely like that record.
3: Black magic
0: has risen in Winchwood No
3: devil retakes place within our love
0: All right, and Amanda, what about you?
4: Uh, well, you guys pretty much took care of the Black Sabbath recommendations, so I'm going to say more people should listen to Nazareth. I don't know if you'd call them heavy metal or hard rock or even really what the difference is, but if you like loud, hard rock guitar music, then, you know, you should listen to Nazareth. They got pretty stupid starting in the late 70s. Uh, But their earlier albums are great, and I would specifically recommend Loud and Proud, Expect No Mercy, and especially Hair of the Dog.
2: we're Going by 70s critic standards, the standard by what is heavy metal and what is not is hard music that I like is hard rock, hard music <laughs> oh. that I do not like is heavy metal.
4: Okay, good <laughs> to know.
0: Oh, so Black Sabbath is hard rock. Ah, yes,
3: there
4: you go. Um, as far as uh, something that is definitely metal, uh, more recently, I Surprisingly, very much enjoyed the album Northern Chaos Gods <laughs> by Immortal. So give that a try. <laughs>
2: I will always be happy with people listening to Immortal Records. So,
1: oh, they're they're so <laughs> Immortal are so ridiculous. They look like WWF guys. Like uh, they're so funny, and and they know they're ridiculous, and they just don't care. Mm-hmm. All their songs are about a mystical raven realm called Blashirk. It's yeah, you can't you can't not love that. Yeah, there are
4: songs on this album called "Into Battle Ride" and "Mighty Raven Dark." And they're really good.
2: (laughs) Their debut album is titled Diabolical Full Moon Mysticism. Amazing. (laughs) Just A plus word. Yeah.
4: I do not at all understand what the vocals are doing or why.
2: Being grim and dark.
4: Yeah, there you go. And screamy. But absolutely everything else about that album was fantastic. I loved it.
2: I did not expect Amanda to be the person recommending black metal on this
4: episode, but. (laughs) Well, you know how much I hate to be predictable. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. All right. Looks like we're
0: done. Next episode. It's my turn to host again. And I will be leading a discussion on Fresh, the 1973 album by Sly and the Family Stone, one of my very, very favorite bands. I'm really looking forward to this one see you all then
1: roll credits
0: thank you for listening to discord and rhyme you can buy black sabbath by black sabbath and other albums by black sabbath at your local record store you can also buy or stream it at the usual places such as spotify apple music youtube and amazon We've also made you a Spotify playlist that you can find on our website, discordpod.com. You can follow Discord and Rhyme at DiscordPod on Twitter for news and updates and on Instagram for pictures of our pets. Visit my music review archive at johnmcfarrenmusicreviews.org. Fair warning, I rate albums in hexadecimal. Black Sabbath gets an A, which means I think it's very good. Special thanks to Mike for hosting editing and producing this episode as well as for our theme song and original music see you next album and be ever wonderful